All right, let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you, God, for the ability that we have to gather together. And Lord, I do pray that as we uh, have prepared our hearts with singing and lifting up our, our voices and our hearts and our hands, Lord, I pray that we would be, have that same attitude as we get into your word. And, and I do pray that as we, again, look at uh, the end of Nehemiah, as we begin to see, Lord, the results of his ministry and, and even some of, the, some of the ugliness that happens, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, the things that we need to emulate, that we would do that, the things we need to stay away from, that we would do that. And I thank you just we have this record in front of us and yeah, some of it's a bunch of names, but, but Lord, there's jewels in there, so again, uh, Lord, guide us, direct us, and speak to us, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I know oftentimes we talk about here at Calvary that we teach, you know, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, but there are times where I'm not gonna do an exercise in, in, in trying to pronounce names that are, un, for me, unpronounceable. So we do skip over those, but you know, read them when you're at home. And when I'm reading my Bible and I get to some of these sections, I make up names as I go. <laughs> well, because I can't say those names, so I say George, Sam, Pete, uh, names that I'm familiar with. But what we need to understand is for them, for the people reading this, the people that Nehemiah was writing to, extremely important to hear these names. And I also think, think about if you were one of those people and your name is there, you're going, yes, you know? So it's kind of encouraging that way. But again, we're gonna, we're gonna pass over a lot of this just so we don't get bogged down. But here's the thing I want us to remember. If you weren't here last week, we did chapter 10. And chapter 10, the people made certain promises. They came to the place and, and where they're gonna follow God, they're gonna do certain things, and now we're gonna find out not so much. Here's what blows my mind. People are people, or we could say it this way. Flesh is flesh, whether you're you know, living in Nehemiah's time in 400 BC, or whether you're li living now in, in 2020. Flesh is flesh and we blow it, and we need to know that, and we need to understand that. And we're gonna see some people, in my mind, I'm thinking, how could you do this after everything that's happened? How could you do this? Remember, under Ezra, they rebuilt the temple, and he brought all that back. Now, under Nehemiah, they've rebuilt the wall. They're kind of collectively, they're finally getting back to where they were, you know, well, probably by now, like a hundred years ago, they're finally getting back and we're gonna find, and they make that promise and then we're gonna find, eh, I didn't really mean it. Here's the thing, Christianity is not about making promises to God. Christianity is not about just, you know, quote, praying. Christianity's not just about reading your Bible. Christianity is a relationship and God changing your heart. And God, I believe, at least in my life, he's got, he's got a job. He's continually changing my heart. I have not reached that place of sinless perfection. I've not reached that place where I've arrived. God is working in my heart. So I think we need to remember that. And you know, I look at what's going on in our nation right now, 
And the only cure for what's going on in our nation, I'm not talking about COVID, but I think part of this is even a cure for that, is changing hearts. You can't legislate things. You can't, listen, you can't make people believe a certain way or change. The only way they're gonna change is reaching their heart. And so as Christians, I think we have a great opportunity in front of us. So Nehemiah has worked. Now here's the thing. He's worked for years. He spent near 10 years working, pouring into people. Not just building a wall, but pouring into people. And you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of give away the end. A lot of times I've gone to, to different conferences and stuff, and people use Ezra and Nehemiah as examples of great leaders. And no doubt they did some great things, but read the end of their books. Didn't work out so well. Like the people followed up to a point and then boom, they quit. Right when Nehemiah quits, right when Ezra quits, they quit. So let's pick up in this. We're, we're, we've done chapter 10, made all those promises. We're excited about following God, right? Hey, when you have somebody who can motivate you and get you, woo! I'm excited, let's go. And then, and then the problem is they wouldn't, no one wanted to live in Jerusalem. Look at, look at verse one of chapter 11. Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast lots to bring uh, one out of 10 to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine tenths were to dwell in other cities. So, you know, here's the thing. People spread out when they got there, and Jerusalem was in shambles. It was a mess, Kind of like some of our cities in, in, in America today. They're, they're a mess. And nobody wants to live there. Nobody wants to go back. Now, here's what I think is hilarious. They go, okay, here's what we're going to do. Since nobody wants to live in this city, we rebuilt the walls. We rebuilt the temple. We're doing okay. I know that, you know, the living conditions aren't the greatest. But here's what we're going to do. The leaders have to live here. So we're going to draw straws. And they're going to do a lottery. And one out of every ten has to live in Jerusalem. That's kind of like, Whoa. I've only won lo one lottery in my entire life, and that was the draft. <laughs> it's the only one I won. It's like, wow, that was not good. But, you know, and then you get the letter, hey, your country loves you and has selected you personally to serve your country. Thank you. That's what they're doing here. Are you kind of getting this? They're drafting these people. They're telling them. And, and let's think about this for a moment. Church, this would be so fun to do. So you're living, you're settled, and now all of a sudden, here's what they're telling you. Give it up. You may have to give up your home. You may have to give up your family. And you're going to move to Jerusalem. You willing to do that for the Lord? If the Lord calls you in an area or calls you to do something, are you, are you willing? You gotta think about, are you willing to walk away? Because this is huge for them. So, so nine-tenths got to, nine-tenths did this. One-tenth did this, bummer. Right, so now they're moving in, and it says in verse two, and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell in Jerusalem. They didn't willingly offer themselves. They got drafted into it, right? You need to do that, but 
here we go. And then it says, verse three, these are the heads of the province who dwelt in Jerusalem, but in the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in his own possession in their cities, the Israelites, the priests, the Levites, the Nethanim, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and the children of Benjamin, the children of Judah, and on goes the list. And now you can read those names on your own, but this is the children now who are living, uh, in, and we're gonna find out some of them, most of them are in Jerusalem, but some of them are still staying in their cities who are even in this list. But he gives a long list and he goes through some leaders, he goes through some Levites, he goes through different people and gives us a list. Now again, as I said, I'm not gonna try and pronounce all these names, we're not gonna go through that, but we do need to understand for them it was important, especially for the person that Nehemiah was writing to or whoever took the collection of Nehemiah and, and Ezra. I think Nehemiah wrote a lot of Nehemiah personally, but, and that's going to people to encourage them as they're walking with the Lord. So they go through the list, we can go through that, and then it tells us down in verse 25, and as for the villages with their fields, so this is Jerusalem, I'm sorry, the first uh, 26, 25 verses, 24 verses are Jerusalem. And then as for the villages with their fields, some of the children of Judah dwelt in Kerjoth Arba and its villages, and then bam, we get a whole bunch of villages listed. So here's what's interesting, he lists people, then he lists these villages, and here's a good exercise. Hey, check it out. Read some of these. Get your map in the back of your Bible. Not while I'm teaching. Don't do this, right? It's later on. And kind of map out what's going on and see how they sort of surrounded around Jerusalem. And these people stayed in their villages and did that. Then verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, and Sariah, and now we're gonna go through the others, and Ezra. Notice Ezra's back. How many of you picked up last week in chapter 10, Ezra wasn't mentioned? A couple of people came up and asked me later. I thought, wow, they're reading their Bible. That's good. And he said, how come Ezra isn't there? Now Ezra is back, and, and, and we're seeing that he's back on the scene. So Ezra, why wasn't he in chapter 10? Here's my favorite answer. I don't know. Because I think it's silly to try and say, well, you know, some profound answer. I don't know why he's not there. Here's what I know. He just wasn't there. I don't know if he took a trip. I don't know if he's on vacation. I don't know if he didn't want his name down. I don't know, but he's not there. But now he's back in chapter 12 and chapter, uh, all, all through chapter 12. So anyway, he lists a whole bunch of names here. You can go through them. But look at the end, uh, not the end, but look at verse 26. Those lived, these lived in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, the son of Jezadok, and in the days of Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest. So now we're getting somewhere, right? We're seeing some people that are involved and now we know that Nehemiah, here's the interesting thing, Nehemiah and Ezra are now, they're involved in ministry together. We saw that when they read the word, but now they're hanging out together. And here's the thing, man, we're getting a list of people, we're getting where they were, what was going on, but man, now we're gonna see them begin to do ministry together and I think it's sort of exciting. The wall is finished. Get this in your mind. It's been almost a century, and the wall around Jerusalem's finished. You know what that means? You can live there and be safe. 
don't have to worry about people coming in. The temple's there. And there's gotta be, again, there was hesitation to move there, but there's gotta be a little bit of excitement. And here's what I believe. I believe Ezra and Nehemiah are gonna capitalize on that, and here's what they're gonna do. They're gonna do a worship service, and they're gonna get together, and they're gonna have worshipers lead people in worship walking around that wall. Would that be cool? So, kind of gave away what's going on, but, but look, at verse, look at verse 27. Now, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all of their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and singing with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. Hey, you getting the idea that it was a regular band? They got their instruments together. They're getting ready to sing. And you know, one of my favorite parts of this is they did it with gladness. They're into this, man. So I get a picture. Listen, I get a picture and they're gathering everybody and they're, they're getting up on that wall and they're going, yeah, we are going to jam. And we're gonna do this. And you know, not your regular, you know, like all of our pictures we have of those guys just walking around like this. They're going, we're gonna do it, man. We're gonna, we're gonna let our hair down and we're gonna go for it. And it's a great picture, isn't it? And, and, you know, again, some of us need to let our hair down a little bit. So verse 28 says, And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of, of the uh, Netophathites, and from the house of Gilgal, from the fields of Geba and, and Asmaveth. And the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. Then the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people and the gates and the wall so I brought the leaders, this is Nehemiah, I brought the leaders of Jerusalem up on the wall, of Judah up on the wall, and I appointed two large Thanksgiving choirs. Don't you kind of like that? So you get the idea, man, here's what he goes, hey, half of you go over here, and half of you go over there. And he's got these big old groups, and I can just see Nehemiah, this is gonna be so awesome. Why? We finished the wall, it's done. This is a day of dedication. This is what we've been working for for years and, and we're after it. So he gets all of the people and then, and then in verse 31, so I brought the leaders of, Judah, uh, of, of uh, Judah up on the wall and appointed two large groups of thanksgiving choirs, one on the right hand toward, uh, on the wall towards the refuse gate and with them, or after them, went Hosea and half of the leaders of Judah. And I just want to read a couple names so we can get our one guy in there. And Azariah and Ezra. So Ezra, Ezra, listen, Ezra was with the group. He was in that leadership of that group. And, and here's, what, here's what Nehemiah said. All right, you guys, go. And they're like singing. And I even think they were dancing a little bit. I know that freaked some of you out. Right? Some people like, can Christians dance? Some can, some can't. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's that simple. But man, I just see these guys, right? They're on that wall. Can, they're expressing their joy and their gladness to their God for what they've gotten done. And they're going, man. And, and so he says, okay, you guys go this way. So they take off and go that way. Now, skip down, because I'm not going to read all those names. Skip down. 
And verse 38 says, the other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way. Check this out. And I was behind him. So here's what happens. He goes, Ezra, you take those guys and you go that way. And they're, woo, and they're going. And then these guys, he goes, you guys take off. And he waits and he gets behind them. So Nehemiah and Ezra are both involved. And here's, I'm looking at him and they're going around Jerusalem. And they're going to, and they're going to come together. And it is going to be one celebration before God. Yeah, it's done. The wall's done. And they have that joy. And then he tells us down in verse 44, at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouses for the offerings, for the first fruits, for the tithes, to gather them, uh, from, the, to gather them from the fields of the cities, the portions uh, specified by the, uh, the law, uh, I'm sorry, specified by the law for the priests and the Levites, for Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. So here's what's going on. They're joyfully bringing stuff in. And once again, man, if you're not giving joyfully, stop giving. It's supposed to be joyful. It's not like it's supposed to be, here, God, take it. You're supposed to have fun doing it, right? And I love, man, listen, they, go back, go back, and if you, if you weren't here last week or you don't remember chapter 10 for homework, go back and read that because they said, we're gonna, here's what they promised. We are going to take care of the Levites. We are going to not intermarry with foreigners and we're gonna keep the Sabbath. Those are the promises they made. And now in the middle of this dedication, and, and I think this is just on the heels of that, they're rejoicing and they're glad. Listen, they're glad to bring that stuff in the storehouse. They're not mad about it. Verse 45, both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of purification according to the command of David and Solomon, his son. For in the days of, uh, for in the days of David and Asaph, of old, there were chiefs of singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. Do you think that singing to God has been part of worship for centuries? Why is that? I think because music moves us. Singing moves us. And there are some people, you know, some people don't want to get emotional worshiping their God. They want to be like, you know, just like, stoic and, and stuff. I, I believe, listen, I believe God used music and promoted worship in, in that style because it moves us. It draws us in. And there's nothing wrong with being moved. There's nothing wrong with being emotional as you worship God. Now listen, I'm, I'm not at all advocating that our whole time and experience of worship and experience of God is an emotional experience, but I think if you're not having emotion with God, something's wrong. You gotta have that, that. And so, man, he has these singers and he has them since the time of David. And then verse 47 says, in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave their portions for the singers and the gatekeepers a portion for each day. And they also crafted holy things for the Levites and for the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. So here's the deal, man, they're all done. They're doing good, they're walking with the Lord, and then between verse, or verse chapter 12 and chapter 13, you gotta know something. Nehemiah left. He was done. Do you remember when Nehemiah left the king? It was only a leave of absence, he wasn't moving, 
And he went back, Nehemiah went back to the king. Why? Because he told the king, I'll come back. And Nehemiah went back. Now, I don't know the exact time frame. I have something written in my Bible that I wrote a long time ago that I can't read. Because uh, uh, if you've ever seen my writing, you know why. You know, I even tried a magnifying glass and that didn't help. So I wrote something in there as to, as to when he left and how long he was gone. And uh, it's interesting as I studied this time, like nobody gave me the information on what I wrote. So, Sorry. But he's gone. He went back. Now, he's back with the king for a while. And guess what happens? Chapter 13 happens. And chapter 13 breaks my heart. We go from making promises to God, being excited, renewing the covenant, to having this tremendous time of celebration, announcing who's there and who's not there, and everybody coming together to this, look at verse one. On that day, now listen, on that day doesn't mean on that day from chapter 12. On that day means later on, we're gonna read, on the day when Nehemiah came back. So Nehemiah comes back, and on that day, listen, on that day, it says they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. So again, according to Deuteronomy 23, they're not to marry, they're not to do that. God laid that out, especially for the Moabites and the Ammonites. These are the two people groups that came from Lot and his relationships with his daughter, and then they turned their backs on Israel and they treated Israel horrible going through the promised land. So you can read that in Genesis. You can read this in, in, uh, as far as Lot and his daughters. Then you can read Deuteronomy chapter 23. And then you can read Numbers 22 through 24 when they get Balaam and they hire Balaam to curse them, right? And most of us know the story, right? Balaam's riding his donkey. His donkey hits the wall and Balaam starts talking to his donkey and his donkey tells him, stop hitting me. And nothing dawns on him that he's having a conversation with the donkey. Every time I read that, I think, this does not make sense. If I was riding a donkey and the donkey turned around and talked to me, I would think something a little weird's happening, right? I would just be a little bit suspicious like, what's coming next? So you can go read that whole story in Numbers and you know what, read that before you go to bed, it kind of makes you sleepy and you can go to bed. So listen, but here's the point of going on with them. Here's what they found out. They got the book of the law out again and here's what's going on. We are not being obedient to what God has laid out. I think that's why a lot of us don't really want to read through our Bible in a year. Because here's what you find out when you read your Bible. You're not being obedient to what God laid out. And it starts conviction in your heart, which is a good thing, and you get convicted, and you start turning toward him. But some of us, we think we know better than God, and we think we know more than God, and so we kinda wanna push him aside, and we wanna do our own thing, and we don't want God too involved in our lives. That's what was going on here. Hey, by the way, Nehemiah's gone, and I don't know where Ezra is, but they're gone. 
And so the people started messing up. Then they read their Bible again. And then it tells us in verse 4, now before this, Elisha, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. Remember who Tobiah is? Have you been with us any length of time? Some of you like have stone cold looks on your face like you've never even, you know, you're not even suspicious. Tobiah was the guy who came against them in their building. Remember Sanballat and Tobiah. And they tried to stop the building of the wall. Now check this out, man. The priest, one of the priests is hanging out with, what are you doing with Tobiah? Well, you know what? You quit reading your Bible. You quit believing God. It's pretty amazing what you'll do. And now he's off there, and I'm thinking, oh, my word. And then it says, verse 5, and he, had pre and he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain, the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers and the offerings for the priests. Oh, you see, there was this storehouse and since you quit reading your Bible, then you quit giving to God and you quit taking care of people and now you have this great big empty room where you put all that stuff who was for the Levites. By the way, the Levites have left because you're not taking care of them. They're not ministering to you because they gotta go get a job and they gotta take care of their things and now you got this train wreck going chugga, 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 and Nehemiah comes back from seeing the king and he's going, what happened? I left a year ago and you guys were fine. How did you wreck this thing in a year? Well, we quit reading our Bibles. We quit trusting the Lord. We thought we knew more than him. We believe, we start believing the things of the world. We started believing what the world told us. And you know, it's working out okay. You know, we got this room here. We found this vacant room. So we found somebody to put in it. Check this out, this blows my mind. So listen, that room's all empty, verse six. But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem. So see, he's letting us know, right? For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then, after certain days, I, or I obtained leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Elisha had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. It's bad enough, listen, it's bad enough you're intermarrying and you're intermingling and we're gonna find out this goes deep, but then, hey, we got this empty room, Tobiah. Why don't you move in? We'll make you a nice place. We'll make you a deal you can't refuse. You're right here, and here's what I'm thinking. It's in the temple. It's in the court area. This is a guy who tried to stop them from building and now he's moved in. Isn't that just like the enemy? You give him a little bit and pretty soon he's moved in. Any of you experience that with your heart? You open up just a little bit. He's moved in. Hi. And you're in trouble. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, Wow, really? Tobiah is living in one of those storehouses? Well, we don't need a storehouse because they're not giving the Levites. And oh, by the way, we know that we promised that in chapter 10. They don't say chapter 10. But we, know, we know the promise we made, but you know what? We're not doing any of that stuff. 
Here's what's crazy. All of that, go back and read it. Everything they promised in chapter 10, they did not do in chapter 13. That's a problem with us making promises to God. You cannot keep those things. You need God to change your heart. And the problem is I see with Ezra and Nehemiah is they were in some ways legislating things and they're just bringing things and here's what we do. The law that we've learned from reading James and Galatians is not gonna change you. And now you have this and it's like, well, here's Tobiah, he's living right here, it's okay. Verse eight, and it grieved me bitterly. Can you imagine how Nehemiah felt? Hey, as a pastor, here's what I know. When I see people blowing it, man, it breaks my heart. It kills me. When I see people doing, I see them and I go, why are you going that direction? You need to look what you're doing. You are going to ruin your life. Don't do that. He's bitterly, listen, man, he's grieved bitterly, therefore, Check this out. I threw out all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Kind of reminds you of Jesus, right? Remember when Jesus cleansed the temple? Here's Nehemiah going, your stuff is out. Can't you, don't you kind of have a metal picture of stuff flying out the door? And I can hear other people saying, don't go in that room, man. (laughs) Nehemiah is freaked. Nehemiah has had it. Don't go in there, and there's stuff just flying out. You kind of get that, and, and everything's out. And Tobiah's going, Where, why is my stuff out here? Because you're moving. That's why, dude. You're not going to live here anymore. I mean, I'm just thinking, this is crazy. I, I, I kind of, I relate more to Nehemiah than I do to Ezra. Ezra was the calm, collected kind of rebuker, like, hey, you guys, take a chill pill. Shouldn't be doing that. Nehemiah is like, let's go, get, get this stuff out of here, right? So he's doing that, and then he says, verse nine, and I love this, man. This works for us during COVID. We need Nehemiah. Look at verse nine. Then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms, and I brought, uh, brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. Here's what he said. Hey, that guy lived in here. We need to get an exterminator, okay? And we need, to, we need to sanitize this thing. We need to get it taken care of. And so then we can get our stuff back in there. And then he starts moving everything back in. Then verse 10, he says, I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given to them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. These are the guys that just a few months ago were marching on a wall. Woo! Woo! We got it done. Now they had to go back to work. And you see, it's almost a vicious circle because when we're doing that and we start pushing those people away and we're not taking care of, they're going back to work, not because they want to, because they have to, because they've got to survive. And now you don't have those guys to teach you, encourage you, and be there for you. So now you get further and further and further away from God. So he says, listen, you guys promised you were gonna take care of him. You're not even taking care of him. So verse 11, so I contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and I set them in their place. I bet he did. This isn't like he set them in their place for dinner He set them in their place for you guys blew it and you need to get it together, right? So he brings the leaders. Then all Judah, verse 12, brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil into the storehouse. I kind of think that's kind of like, that's not really a way to give. 
You gotta give because God's put it on your heart to give, not because somebody is, is you know, guilt-tripping you or manipulating you to give. It's gotta come from your heart, but nonetheless, he did that. They brought it all in, and verse 13 says, and I appointed as treasurers over the storehouse uh, Shilameah, uh, the, the priest, or Shilamiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and of the Levites, of Padea, and next to him was Hannah, or Hanan, and the son of Zakur, Zakur, and the son of Mataniah, for they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. So he puts, now listen, this time he puts some people in charge and puts them there, and then it says, look at verse 14. Remember me, O God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds, deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. Here's, here's like, if you read Nehemiah carefully, there's seven of these quickie prayers. They're just like little quickie prayers. Why? Because he was a man who prayed. And the little quickie prayers, listen, I don't want your life to be a, a life in a string of quickie prayers. You need to have that good prayer time so then as you're walking through life, you can do the little quickie prayers because you're close to him. And he just has this thing. I love this. This is gonna, he's gonna have three of these tonight. Hey, Lord, remember, I kind of like that idea. Remember me, God. Remember what I did. Remember, remember those things I did for the house of my God because these guys are messing it up, right? So remember that. And then in the days, verse 15, I saw, the, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens which they had brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about that day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and they sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, what evil thing is this you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all the disaster on, this, on us and this city? Yet you, being added, you, you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Chapter 10. We're gonna keep the Sabbath, and we talked about that. Listen, the Sabbath was for Israel, not for the church, and Sunday isn't the Christian Sabbath. We, we explained all that. I'm not gonna go over all that again. But they were supposed to keep the Sabbath. There was something that God gave to them, and they chose not to do it. Once again, the world influence. Notice the people of Tyre coming selling fish. I mean, how can you resist fish, right? Like, I love to eat fish. And the fishmongers out there, and you're going, man, he's got some fish. But Pat, it's the Sabbath. I don't care. He's got fish. And pretty soon, it's not just fish you're buying. Pretty soon, you're doing work. And you're violating what God said. As I read chapter 13, here's what kind of bothers me, and I, and I think that, that is what's really what we're really watching, is the world is influencing Israel. Remember, Israel was to be separate. They were supposed to be different. They were supposed to be distinct. They were supposed to be people of God. And now all of a sudden, man, they're listening to people of the world rather than reading the word. Part of that is because they quit supporting the Levites and they're all gone and no one's giving them the word and they're there. So, so, but man, listen, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And that's what I find in our lives. And that's something that's disturbing to me right now in the time we're living in. Man, don't give up on God. 
Don't give up on God's word. Don't remove yourself from the place where you can be blessed by God's word and by God's people. I think that's important. So here they are, man. They're profaning the Sabbath. And then check this out, verse 19. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark on the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut. Can you see this guy like taking charge? Like, first of all, he threw all of Tobiah's junk out, right? And started cleaning that up. Now he's going, really? Really? And he starts shutting these gates. I can see him like running around Jerusalem, shutting the gates. It's dark, he's shutting the gates. And, and he, says, uh, he, he says, before dark, I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be opened until after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gate so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside of Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them. So here's what's going on. These guys are bringing everything. They're going, okay, we'll just wait out here. Hoping that people will come out and buy it, right? We'll just be like, you know, you know how the devil does us? And we make up our mind to do something. He goes, I'll, just, I'll be right here. And we go, that's okay, just stay right there. And pretty soon he's back in, right? He's back involved in your life and in your stuff. So, so listen, man, we'll just be right here. I, I love, if you have a problem with that, read what Nehemiah, Nehemiah is like great. So he says, listen, then I warned them in verse 21 and said to them, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do it again, I'm gonna lay hands on you. He doesn't mean I'm gonna lay hands on you and pray for you, okay? <laughs> Nehemiah says, I am going to lay hands on you Quickly, repetitively, and harshly, right? Get out of here. He's saying, get away from the wall. Go away. I love that, man. And then, listen, I'm going to lay hands on you. And from that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. You're kidding me. Gotta love this guy. Oh, it gets better. And then I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O God, concerning this also, and spare me according to, the, according to the greatness of your mercy. So there's that quickie prayer, right? Now he's not done. I mean, things are a mess. So now people are intermarrying again. He says in verse 23, in those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one of the other peoples. So, because I'm Nehemiah, right? I contended with them, really. You gotta get the idea, this guy was aggressive. And here's what I love about this. Again, for homework, read Ezra and then read Nehemiah again. Totally different approaches to ministry and one's not right and one's wrong. They're just different people. And that's how they're gonna do ministry. That's what I love. We need to understand different people are gonna do ministry different ways. There's not the one cookie cutter pastor. Hallelujah, huh? So you listen, man. Nehemiah is a like in your face pastor. Ezra is kind of like, I don't wanna say he's a diplomat because he didn't compromise, but he uses more diplomacy. Hey, like, you guys, you know what? You really shouldn't do this. And then, and then when he sees them intermarried, do you remember? That, well, we'll read this first. Check this out. So verse 25, so I contended with them and cursed them. Now, he didn't curse them out. Like, he didn't cuss at them. He cursed them. In other words, what you're doing, this is going to be the consequences of what you're doing. So I just want you to understand that. And then check this out. 
I struck them, some of them, and then I pulled out their hair and made them swear to God. I love this, man. Listen, man, he is just going for it, right? What did Ezra do? You guys remember what Ezra did? Ezra pulled out his own hair. Ezra's like this. Nehemiah's like this. And here's what I'm thinking, man. These people, these people you're thinking, why are you not getting the message? Like, you see, these two men are going bonkers. I mean, I, I have been tempted, but I've never pulled anybody's hair out. <laughs> Occasionally, once in a great while, I'm like, you know, if I could just get a hold of your hair, you would fix things so quickly. But he struck them, too. Like, he's beating on them, huh? That's not, that's not a good way to evangelize. You can't beat Jesus into people. Like, I don't want you to get the idea, man. If I start beating Jesus into these people, man, the whole world will get saved. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, man, Nehemiah, you have lost it. And then he told them, he says, listen, I struck some of them, I pulled out their hair, and I made them swear by God, saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your, son, for your sons or yourselves. Great work, Nehemiah, for about a month. You can read the history of Israel. They go into a real dark time after this. You know what? You know what for homework? I, I put down the exact verses, but read, read Malachi. Malachi prophesied during this time. Read where they're at. And it's not long. Listen, so again, you can't, you can't force morality and, you know, quote, following God into people. It's got to be a changed heart. So listen, I'll leave that up for a minute. Well, you guys know Malachi, Malachi, right? So, okay, so here's what he says, verse 26. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Here's what he's thinking. Look at Solomon. We have a perfect example of what not to do, right? Didn't Solomon do this? And he says, yet, Many, uh, yet among many nations, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all of Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we hear of, you, of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? Again, man, you don't want to do that. And as Christians, you don't want to marry outside the faith. And it's not, listen, again, it's not some legalistic thing. You've got to think about what you're doing and what that's going to do to your life, what's that going to do to the person's life, and you just don't do it. Read 2 Corinthians. You know, it's not just Old Testament. Read New Testament. And, and Paul is explicit. We don't do that. What fellowship has darkness with light? Or what fellowship has Biel, the devil, with Jesus? And he just puts that out there. So again, we're not to do that. So verse 28, and one of the sons of Joida, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore, I drove him. Man, it just gets deeper and deeper, doesn't it? You got Tobiah living in a room. You got another priest that's married to, to Sanballat's daughter. And it's like, wow. Verse 29, remember them, oh my God. Now it's not just remember me, now it's remember them because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus, I cleanse them from everything pagan. I also assign duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his servants, 
or to his service and to, bring, uh, to bringing the wood offering and the first fruits at appointed times. Remember what the wood offering is? Remember last week we read that? Remember they had the woodcutters? We talk about is my ministry important? Remember there were guys, don't ever forget this, there were guys who had to chop wood to keep the fire going. If you don't have the fire, you can't do the offerings, you can't worship God. And some people go, hey, I feel like, a, you know, I, I feel like I'm not worth or not count. What I do doesn't count and it's not, not some great thing. Wood choppers. Wood choppers were essential for ministry. When I think of our ministry, when I think of things here and, and we have it in the back of the, the seats in front of you, check it out. It's like 230 people it takes for us to do our weekly services. 230 different people. It's not just, listen, it's not just one or two or this or that. It takes an army in order for us to do ministry here at Calvary Chapel. And that's what he's saying here. He goes, listen, man, all of them. And then he ends it, listen, he ends it with this one last little prayer. Remember me, oh my God, for good. And that's Nehemiah. It's kind of like over and out. Now, I like reading Nehemiah, but I also feel this. I feel like what he did, and even what Ezra did, both approached ministry from different. So I want to say one was right and one was wrong, because here's what I understand from both of them. Their ministries failed, according to our idea of ministry. And we need to understand that, because here's the thing. Ministry doesn't count on an individual. Ministry counts on God. And God is the one who changes people. God is the one who works in people's lives. So as we think about it, as we're coming to his table, we're coming to worship him because he died for our sins and he took our place. And we have that opportunity tonight to remember what he's done on our behalf. So let's stand up and pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for challenging us. I thank you for what we've learned here tonight. And I do pray, God, I pray as we're getting ready now to come to your table, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, as we think about these people, and bottom line, chapter 13 is just one catastrophe after another. Lord, don't let that be the story of our life. But God, make us a people who we believe you, we trust you, and we walk with you. And God, I know, I know that if we're committed to those things, that we can change our world. And that we can be an influence. And God, that we can be used for good, whether we're talking about the stuff that's happening with, with the death of George Floyd or, or with the riots going on or even with COVID-19. I know that as your people, we need to rise above those things and we need to be a light in the midst of darkness and confusion. And God, I pray that you would use this to bring that stability to change one heart at a time because we have a relationship with the living God. So be glorified in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.